Synthetic identity fraud. What is it and why is it rising? Also, the noose tightens around the hacking group known as the Dark Overlord. These stories and more coming up on the ISNG Security Report. I'm Matthew Schwartz. There's been a rise in synthetic identity fraud. To discuss this increase, I'm joined by my colleague, Nick Holland. Nick, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Matt. So there have been indications that synthetic identity fraud is on the increase. First of all, what do we mean when we're talking about synthetic identity fraud? That's actually a very good question. And based on the podcast I did last week with Julie Conroy from ITA Group, it's a hard thing to define because... She kind of distills it down to three main types of synthetic identity fraud. They're kind of different. So the first would be identity fabrication, which is where the identity is completely false. It's not using any genuine identity data elements. The second would be identity manipulation, where it's a genuine identity data elements are being tweaked slightly to create a new ID. And then there's identity compilation, which is is kind of a, a yard sale of bits and pieces of different IDs that are put together to form a new identity. So there's not one type of synthetic identity fraud. Knowing what we know about synthetic identity fraud, how are fraudsters putting these three different techniques and tactics into practice? So how do fraudsters put this into practice? Um, I think that's best coming from, from Julie Conroy at ITE. Here she is. Here in the US, we've made it somewhat easy for, for fraudsters, at least easier than in some other countries. So when a new customer comes in applying for credit and their first time getting credit, their identity gets reported to the credit bureau. And if the credit bureaus does their searches, can't find a good match, they will set up a new credit record for them. Credit bureaus actually aren't allowed to use social security number as a primary key. So they, they have a pretty complex matching system to determine if there's the record on file. And understanding this construct, and this is where the fraudsters will create these net new identities, they'll go into a credit issuer and apply for credit. And you know, the, the tough part from a credit issuer's perspective is that often these synthetic identities look very similar to someone that is new to the country or new to credit, a young consumer just getting their, their first credit card. The other piece that you know, complicates the, the challenge from a credit issuer's perspective is until 2011, we had a, a system in the U.S. for social security number issuance. And so you could do some checks on the social security number to determine, is this number range for the social security number consistent with the age of the person that's coming in the door? Uh, in 2011, the U.S. started randomizing social security number issuance, which makes it even easier now for fraudsters to come in and, and create these synthetic identities. So Nick, when you spoke with Julie Conroy at ITE, she not only was charting why this is happening, but also some of the losses that we're seeing. What did you hear from her? Yeah, that was somewhat staggering. She suggested that in 2017, and she was fairly conservative in this based on her conversations with credit card issuers and payment networks, that there were $800 million worth of synthetic identity fraud losses in the US just for credit cards in 2017. And that's expected to rise to something like $1.2 billion by 2020. So it's a problem that's not going away. But there was another aspect that I thought that was, again, maybe even more shocking. It's, it's very hard to detect synthetic identity fraud. And as a result of that, a lot of banks have just had them hidden in things like you know credit charge-offs. 
for credit cards that have gone awry. And she said that, you know, in some discussions with financial institutions, they're suggesting as much as 20% of those write-offs could be synthetic identity fraud. So it's a pretty significant issue. And it's it certainly seems to be getting worse based on the abundance of PII that's out there these days. Given the fact that payment processors, banks, financial services institutions are aware of this increase and are attempting to put some measures in place, do you think we're going to see a decrease in this type of fraud anytime soon? Or is the impetus for criminals to pursue this simply too great? It's pretty easy, apparently, to develop a fake synthetic identity. And again, fraudsters are playing sort of the long game on a lot of these. They're looking at, in some cases, building up an identity over as much as five years. They're clearly very committed to this. So no, I don't think it's going to diminish anytime soon. But certainly it seems that there's an increasing awareness amongst banks and other entities that are subject to this kind of fraud. And again, I think it's some smart usage of technology to mitigate that. So it's, you know, having strong authentication at the point of enrollment and then fraud detection based on machine learning and behavioral analytics. And then just overall sort of analysis of the digital identity, you know, how did the credit record get set up in the first place, and looking at how they're applying for and using credit. So there's, there needs to be sort of a 360 view of the customer throughout the account lifecycle. So things can clearly change. With the nonstop spate of data breaches that we've seen over the past 15 years or more, so many of them spilling people's personal details, is this the logical next step? of attackers having bought, sold, traded, all of this personal information, people having incredibly complete dossiers on individuals and the ability to pretend that they are them. Is this the natural evolution that has produced synthetic identity fraud that we're seeing today? It would seem to be. I mean, given the glut of information that's out there and, and the ability to certainly make kind of sort of franken IDs, seems that that is what's occurring. I mean, there's just such a massive abundance of PII out there that it's possible to do this now. And clearly, it's occurring. It's going to continue somewhat unabated, given uh, the, the ease with which this can happen. And then I think there's going to be some added complexities when you layer in things like biometrics, like your, your fingerprint or face print as well. So you've got the potential there for synthetic identities that are actually using your own biometrics as well. So it's pretty scary scenario that you have the potential for these doppelgangers out there that are you but not you or parts of you. It's a fairly disturbing place, I think. Nick, thanks for your insights. Thank you, Matt. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Next. ISMG's Jeremy Kirk gives us the latest on a notorious hacking group. The noose may be tightening around a hacking group that calls itself the Dark Overlord. Over the last two years, the group has held for ransom sensitive information from dozens of companies, organizations, and U.S. public schools. However, law enforcement is making progress. At least three people suspected of being linked to the group have either been arrested or charged. The latest development came on Wednesday. Serbia's Ministry of Internal Affairs says they've arrested a person, which they identified only by their initials, SS, and as born in 1980. The operation was executed in cooperation with UK police and the FBI. But the Dark Overlord is still active, and law enforcement is giving chase on bare threads of electronic clues. The latest arrest in Serbia follows law enforcement actions that have increased the pressure. One of those was made public earlier this month. 
UK police announced the arrest of Grant West, a 26-year-old man who operated out of a caravan in Kent. He's accused of attacking more than 500 companies, including Uber, Sainsbury's, and T-Mobile. Police seized from West 500,000 pounds in the virtual currency Bitcoin. UK police have not publicly linked West to the Dark Overlord, but a security industry source tells me it is believed West was affiliated with the group. Another fringe member of the Dark Overlord was arrested last year in the UK. Nathan Wyatt was sentenced last November to three years in prison. Wyatt was accused of hacking a British law firm and demanding a ransom of around $12,000. In an instant messaging chat with ISMG prior to Wyatt's sentencing, a member of the Dark Overlord told me that the group had some limited contact with him but said his capture meant no loss. The Dark Overlord landed on the radar of law enforcement two years ago largely due to its public bragging about attacks. But it was the group's attacks on several U.S. public schools last year that triggered an urgent effort by international law enforcement. The group made threats to the schools and sent threatening text messages to parents of students. As far as attack methodology, security experts say the group takes advantage of relatively simple security misconfigurations and oversights, which then opens up an avenue to steal data. But tracking down all the members of the group has proved elusive due to its use of well-known evasion techniques, encryption, and anonymity software. Despite the arrest in Serbia, the group remained defiant. Late Wednesday, a Twitter account affiliated with the Dark Overlord tweeted, Law enforcement has proven to be most incompetent. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. 2018 is almost half over. And one thing that we've been seeing throughout the year are health data breaches. To learn more, I'm joined by my colleague, Marianne. Hey, Matt. You've been tracking healthcare data breaches for a long time, including for the first half of this year. What has 2018 delivered for us so far? Over the last two months, the number of breaches that we see posted to the Department of Health and Human Services HIPAA breach reporting tool website, which lists HIPAA breaches involving 500 or more victims, there's been a doubling each month, it seems. But a big chunk of that is related to a sort of quirky breach that was reported in February to federal regulators, but was just recently added onto that list. It was an incident involving the California Department of Developmental Services, which reported a break-in at the agency's legal and audit offices. And they said that trespassers ransacked files and paper files and a bunch of different things and started a fire. And the sprinklers went off and ruined um, a lot of material. And some of that material contained the protected health information of almost 600,000 individuals. So the agency says that they have no evidence that this data has been used in any way. It sounds more like it's been ruined. But that contributes a big number of victims to this list we have this year. The rest of the breaches, there's a lot of hacking incidents. The second largest breach this year was an incident that was reported earlier this year, actually. It's a hacking incident that impacted almost 300,000 Medicaid patients of the Oklahoma State University Center for Health Sciences. That incident was discovered in November of 2017, but it was posted this year. Entities that have these large breaches have 60 days to report them to regulators. And so we keep seeing some of these breaches get added to the list. Some of them might have happened a few months ago. Some of them might have been things that happened last year, but only were recently discovered. But again, the tally kind of gives insight into the sorts of things we see. Anything from thefts and break-ins to 
lost unencrypted laptops to hacking incidents, which again seems to be the trend in terms of the number of incidents we see lately being reported. Besides the odd breaking and entering episode resulting in sprinklers going off and assorted physical damage, are there any other surprises? I mean, lost laptops that weren't encrypted certainly sounds like something ripped from the headlines 15 years ago. Yeah, you know, we see those still showing up. But I have to say that in covering these incidents and analyzing this breach tally every month, you see a lot fewer of those sorts of incidents. You know, four or five years ago, unencrypted laptops that were stolen or lost, those were always the headline breaches that we saw, you know, the big breaches. Those are still on the list. They, they're more scattered. Again, the hacking incidents and also uh, quite a few unauthorized access slash disclosure incidents are appearing on the tally this year. And again, some of these incidents are going back to kind of old-fashioned types of breaches with paper breaches uh, involving mailings where people's health information is seen through an envelope of a window. You still see those sorts of things too. But when it comes to the more uh, tech sorts of incidents, the hacking incidents are certainly the problem. Marianne, thanks so much for your insights. Thanks, Matt. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Catch you next time.